Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. So um, I'm going to let Father John introduce the topic since I did, uh, I did zombies last time. Um, so, um, yeah. If we can, uh, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, take away my heart of stone, a heart so bitter and uncircumcised, and give me a new heart, a heart of flesh, a pure heart. You cleanse the heart and love the clean heart. Take possession of my heart and dwell in it, contain it, and fill it. You who are higher than the heights of my spirit and closer to me than my innermost self. You are the pattern of all beauty and the seal of all holiness. Set the seal of your likeness upon my heart, and your mercy set your seal upon my heart. God of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, it's, a, it's a good thing to do to pray during Holy Week uh, for those of us that haven't done uh, prayer uh, for all of Lent, or, you know, most of Lent. For those of us who haven't fasted <laughs> for all of Lent. Um, uh, and I gave a gift card to somebody, so I can consider that my almsgiving for some of Lent. So, uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, usually we use the sound system here, and we're trying something new. And if it totally fails, well, we'll, you know, we'll see if the Broncos will let us use the stadium for next time or something. So, um, so if you, I mean, the quieter you guys are, that's awesome. If you really need to mack on somebody that you've been waiting on, you know, since the last Theology on Tap, um, I know that, you know, you might have some lines or some game that you've been saving up. If you really need to, go ahead, you know. But there are going to be people that are going to look at you. Tyler Lynch. Tyler Lynch. That's right. Actually, ladies, there are some RCIA candidates here tonight. Um, so the, the ranks of Catholic men are getting a little bit bigger. So you've tried the rest. Now try the best. There are a few things I know you'd rather be doing than a Monday night listening to two celibates talk about beauty, especially when they both gave up alcohol for Lent. So these look like good drinks, but they're just club soda. So... If this thing totally sucks, blame it on the fact that you've never listened to us when we're sober before. So. But uh, we go back uh, several years, several years, because we can't just jump into the topic. I have to thoroughly embarrass my, uh, my partner here, Nathan Goble. And uh, i got to tell you about several achievements that he is uh, working on in his life. Okay? Many, many spiritual, but also some physical milestones that he's hitting, that he's working on. He's a man of many lists, many accomplishments. One of these is... Several years ago, he purchased a 1930s, possibly female bathing suit. We're talking about the uh, full, full body bathing suit. And uh, skin colored, which is even worse. It's not true. I've never seen a man wear anything like this. But this is, uh, his goal is to swim in every ocean in the world in that 1920s bathing suit. And I have personally attested to the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. And I'd like to tell you briefly about the Pacific, and then I want him to tell you about the Indian Ocean, because that was the really crazy one. Yep. So, Pacific Ocean, right? The place where celibates go to vacation. The Oregon coast in March. It was freezing, <laughs> raining. All we're doing is playing euchre, drinking, staying away from human beings, right? Relaxing. Well, on day four, we decide 
we have to go for the ocean, right? The Pacific is out there raging. Right? It's, it's rainy, it's cold, it's miserable, right? So we all kind of are on the deck waiting to... I was also singing um, Yang poetry to the uh, ocean. I'm originally from Illinois, so I'd never really spent that much time with the ocean. So I thought I was singing, like, love poems to the female ocean. Apparently the yin is the female uh, Tao. Uh, the yang is the male. But uh, he got some pretty good poems. Not exactly essential to the story, but thank you for adding that. So we're all standing outside, kind of right on the beachfront, ready to run into the Pacific Ocean. But everyone's a little nervous because it's absolutely freezing, and it's March. And then all of a sudden, the doors blast open, and out comes this guy in the 1920s bathing suit. Somehow he found this 15-foot American flag, and he starts charging for the Pacific Ocean, screaming out his Yang poetry. Yang? Yin poetry. Yang. Yang, screaming this out, charges into the Pacific Ocean before the rest of us can go after it. And that sums up Deacon Nathan Goebel. He's a man without inhibitions, right? A man you can't put expectations on because you have no idea. We then went to the Caribbean, right? And had a much better experience. Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean, whatever it was. We were in uh, Merida, right? Mexico. And uh, it was, uh, what? You they know heard what? about that last they time. They heard about that last time, right? Puking our guts out for a month. It was amazing, right? But the Indian Ocean, and then we'll get to the topic, which was swimming in Switzerland in the high mountain lakes. So when I actually, so I, I got to swim in the Atlantic twice because I went to uh, Charleston, South Carolina with my good buddy, uh, Keith Kenny, because um, that's what celibates do. We go on spring break together and, you know, pretty much do the exact same thing, play cards, get angry at each other and drink. Um, uh, so, but we went to the, we went to the Atlantic in Charleston and again, like it's spring break, so it's not like, you know, high season for, you know, bathing suits. So, um, uh, there was this guy, Brian Willoughby, who was a, an excellent impressionist. So I had, I had Brian uh, pretend that he was a, a German photographer because he had this really nice camera. And I was like, I have never, I have never swam in ocean with this outfit. Uh, and it's a kind of revealing. Uh, do you think it would be good? And he's like, yeah, you should lay on the, the sand, you know? <laughs> and like, there were like people like taking pictures of us because they thought, you know... <laughs> With my very Rubenesque form, um, so um, I went to India in 2007, um, finishing my time in Focus. Um, so I only had one more chance to squeeze money out of all my donors. So um, I told them I was going to take this mission trip. Um, for anybody that's ever contributed to a mission trip, it's just like a really kind way of saying I can't pay for my own vacation, um, but if you could, you could do me a solid. Um, <laughs> Not many people go vacationing in Calcutta, though, so um, the difference between Mexico when he got sick and it was, you know, Montezuma's revenge, in India when we got sick, we called it the return of Jafar, um, and it was rubbing the lamp. That was, that was code language. Anyway, so, so eventually, like, you know, India, it's not like ocean everywhere, I mean, if you're on the coast, but um, not in Calcutta, um, and so we finally get the Vishakapatnam. Um, some of you may know Anand Bhimarasethi. Um, that's the closest I can get to Indian, or, you know, whatever that language is called. Um, what? No, that's... Um, so anyways, so we get to the beach, and Indians have a really strange custom that they, uh, uh, the men interlock fingers, but like on the outside of each other. So they're not holding hands, they're just kind of like, you know, we're together and enjoying something. It's not like anything more than just a customer. So I told, I told him, I was like, how much will you give me if I go up and hold that guy's hand? And he told me 50 rupee. 
And I'm like, that's, that's a lot. It's actually only like $2. <laughs> so I chickened out, but then I just like sprinted, I, you know, because I always like to, you know, make it a show. So I like get the star suit, you know, like roaring, and I go out to the ocean, and I'm making sure I keep my head above water because this is the Bay of Bengal, and I don't know how much current goes through the Bay of Bengal, um, but eventually I'm like swimming, and, you know, I'm like, keep your mouth shut, whatever you do. And I like come up and I surface right onto a diaper. <laughs> Hope nobody's eating. Go ahead. Talk about Switzerland? No. So we want to start a talk on beauty with that image in your head right there. And so uh, our most recent trip was what we called a, a pilgrimage to beauty, right? And we went to the most beautiful country in the world. We went to Switzerland. Some of them are here. Some of the pilgrims, right? They're just being quiet. Don't be ashamed. You can be proud. Mike DeGuidis. So um, we had, of course, the, the, uh, the 1920s bathing suit made an appearance. It got packed into the backpack. But it was an interesting uh, and a very different concept, right? And uh, that's what we want to talk about tonight. That's the title of this talk, The Pilgrimage to Beauty. What were we doing? How did we justify this, right, calling this a pilgrimage, right? So what I realized when I was the chaplain at CU, if I could figure out something that I wanted to do and I could convince college kids to do it, that counted as work, right? So we would, we would ministry. We would plan these things months in advance and not tell anybody. And then 12 hours before, I'd say, hey, Mike DeGuidis, you want to go to Utah this weekend? He'd be like, yeah, crazy. I don't have anything doing this weekend. I'm like, neither do I. Ministry, right? Can <laughs> canyoneering in Utah. So you put a Catholic word on the front of pilgrimage, pilgrimage in front of Switzerland, and you think, this is great. We're going, right? And that's what it looked like to a lot of people, like a total joke. What are you doing taking a pilgrimage to Switzerland? That's bizarre. But we had a different concept in mind, and Deacon Nathan was with me, and that's what we want to focus on tonight. So we're going to talk a little bit about pilgrimage, and then we're going to talk about beauty, and what were we doing exactly. So to begin with an introduction, we have to do uh, a little reverence and honor to our friend and father, a guy named Father Ray Goronsky, right? He is the inventor. He's the one who put this idea in our head by inter introducing us to a theologian named Hans Urs von Balthasar. So you're going to hear Balthasar over and over and over again. You're going to be puking it out by the end of the night, right? If you're not already puking by the thoughts of the Bay of Bengal and all these different things, you're going to hear that name a lot. Swiss theologian, great man. But we got it from this priest who set this idea in our head. And what he said was this. He said, we need to give people beauty first. First, the most important thing that we need to give is the experience of beauty, right? Beauty is one of the three transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty. And we're going to talk about this in a second. But to take a pilgrimage to beauty is different, right? Usually think of a pilgrimage, you go to a holy place, a place where Jesus walked in the Holy Land in Galilee, or you go to the place of a saint, or you walk the, San, uh, the Camino de Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain, the way to the tomb of St. James. That's a traditional conception of pilgrimage, but what we wanted was we wanted to say, what is it like to take a pilgrimage to beauty itself? Okay? So we weren't physically going somewhere, though Switzerland and the Alps, it was unbelievable. right? But we were taking the pilgrimage to beauty itself, to the actual concept of beauty, so that as Catholics, we would start to kind of wake up and we would realize in a different way what exactly we were experiencing. Now, pilgrimage is a concept we hear, it's a word we hear a lot, because Pilgrimage is something that's a part of our life as Catholics ever since we left the Garden of Eden, right? Ever since that happened, the Jewish understanding and then the Christian understanding is that we are a pilgrim people. We are on a journey, so to speak. 
We're not staying in one place, right? As sweet and as beautiful it is to watch Nathan Goble do a perfect dive into the Caribbean, right? You can't stay there forever. You have to keep moving. Time keeps us moving on. And that's the concept of pilgrimage. But we've lost that as Catholics, right? I think we've lost it. In Europe, they have a stronger sense of this. All over the world, they do. But as Catholics, we've lost kind of a sense of that. To be Catholic is one of these things that's like, eh, grandma was Catholic. We kind of go to church, all these different things. But in terms of day-to-day life, the idea of a pilgrimage, we've kind of lost, especially as Americans. Like, you're going to do what, right? And all these parents were asking me, like the Whartons over here, they, they were good about it. But Leslie was on the trip. But it's like, you're doing what? And it's like, we're going to, to uh, Switzerland to just be, to learn to just be, to behold beauty and to experience beauty in a way, right? So tonight, as we talk about this, we got to get out of our kind of active American mentality. We got to start to think in a different way about pilgrimage as an existential way that we're living our life constantly. Yeah, and I mean, one thing I don't want this to end up being, and, and it's actually a really good thing that we don't have like some sweet slideshow where it's just like, Look at, look at the cool thing that we did, you know, and what, you know, because that's pretty much what people do on Facebook, you know, and I do it on Facebook. The picture of me in my star suit in the Alpine Lake is, in, is on Facebook, but um, it's not about beautiful people doing beautiful things, eating beautiful food, wearing beautiful clothes, uh, and just having a beautiful time all the time. Um, it had to be more than that because... Um, I wasn't necessarily interested in going to a beautiful place just so I could surround myself with like the up-and-coming Catholic crowd. I actually only knew about three people out of, what, 20? What? There were 30. What? 38? Tell them who Becca is. Oh, yeah. Becca Becca planned our whole trip. She was logistics. Um, She was like a house mom. Um, And uh, so she was great. If you ever have, like, a really good idea, that's awesome. You actually need somebody to, like, plan it and execute it. So she did that. So she was more like the producer. Feels like an Oscar speech or something, you know? Like, um, but I didn't know very many people on the trip. And to be perfectly honest, when I showed up, when I showed up at the airport, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, these are the people that I kind of avoided in high school um, because they're all wearing... Sorry, it's got to come out at some point. Um, they're all wearing North Face. They all have, like, you know, perfect hair and, you know, like somebody went tanning beforehand, you know, and I'm like, they are in for a surprise. Um, but I think that's what, that's what we long for in our life, not the ephemeral beauty that, that passes away. Like a full plate of sushi has a beauty to it. Like completely pounding it to the end also has a beauty to it, you know? Um, like being able to share in the beauty of other persons, like, you know, weddings or like birthday parties or brisses, you know? It's a Catholic crowd, I don't know. Whatever. Um, they have their own beauty. That sounds really weird. I'm really sorry. Um, That they have their own beauty, but if it's just about living for that moment, then you're just living in sort of a club mentality where it always has to be like the new vibe, the new music, the new clothes, and everything else. So it's all about novelty. But true beauty is much deeper. Um, And you have to adjust your eyes to see it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what we want to propose tonight is that we start living differently. Not only that we live according to this notion of journey, this notion of pilgriming. You want to sing? Yeah? Okay, good. And, uh, but also that we start with beauty. We start with beauty, right? Let me give you an example. Okay, my parents are sitting right over here, right? Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. So my existence, my existence, my entire existence as a human being began when that guy looked at that girl roughly around the year 1977. I don't really know. Some of these details are hidden from us. Summer of love. Summer of love. During a baseball game in Baumholder, Germany. Okay? But what happened was when he looked at her, what happened? He experienced beauty. And he was captivated by her. Right? And he said... This is it. I have to know who this is. I desire to change my life, to start focusing it and making it look different because of that person, because of Mary Barger, now Mary Nepple, right? Everything changed in that moment. What happens a lot of time in the Catholic faith is that that's not our experience of the faith. It's not the experience of falling in love, of seeing something beautiful, of beholding an experience that actually enraptures you, because that's what beauty does. Beauty is the perception of a form, and then it enraptures you. So my dad looked at my mom, he saw the beauty of this form, not just physical, but something in her integrity, her body and her soul radiated, and he was captivated by it, absolutely captivated by it. And that's how my existence came to be. What happens in the Catholic faith, it's much more like somebody walking up to my dad and saying, okay, yeah, you kind of like, you're looking at that girl, let me explain something here. Here's all the truths that you will learn, and they hand her kind of a printout. Here's her life, she's from Farmington, Minnesota, she comes, she's got five crazy brothers, you need to know that in advance, right? Her mother is kind of crazy also, right? <laughs> you know, a printout of all the truths of Mary Nepple's life, right, to say to him, you know, at your wedding, we're going to get a little personal here, right? At your wedding rehearsal, her brothers are going to steal her away, okay? The bride stolen from her reception, Right? This is all the truths that are coming. That's not how it works, of course. And somebody likewise didn't say to my dad, here's all the moral obligations that are imposed upon you when you enter into marriage, right? This is all the morality that you have to live. You can never have sex with anybody else, right? That's not how falling in love works. But that's how we seem to present the faith. Dogma and then moral obligations. And then we say, peace, we're out of here. And that's why most Catholics are leaving the faith. Because we're starting with truth... And then we're trying to move them to goodness. And then beauty is kind of this like last thing that we never really do. And we're building ugly churches. We're building these multi-purpose facilities, right? That don't inspire any beauty at all. They're weird looking, a lot of them, right? Some of them are amazing. Go to Holy Ghost down the street. It's unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there are certain churches and you look at it and you're like, I'm not inspired by anything. And then you hear about truths, right? And obligations. And you say to yourself, eh. Do I really want to sign up for this thing? I mean, I know grandma was like a lifetime member of this club, but like, seriously, the benefits don't really seem to be that impressive, right? So instead of going from truth, goodness, to beauty, what Bon Balthazar proposes is that we start with beauty. Start with beauty. Let's start giving people the experience very similar to what my dad experienced, right, at that baseball game in 1977 in Baumholder, Germany. Let's start there. Let's give people the experience of beauty and then see what happens. And you know what happens? Crazy things happen, like friendship and the ability to suffer and the desire to change one's life and the ability to embrace things that are complex and mysterious, like the Trinity, like the Incarnation, like the resurrection of Christ. You can embrace the paradox of the cross when you've been captivated by beauty. That's the difference, and that's what has to happen. That's how we have to change everything. And so one of the fundamental presuppositions of this trip 
was let's start with beauty, right? There's no presuppositions other than that. We begin by giving them an experience of beauty, beauty in its fullness, right? And again, we're not talking about beautiful people in their Patagonia, right? We're talking about something much deeper, that the that this person is a body and a soul, and that when that's integral, and when there's a form that is elicited out of it, it actually holds someone uh, completely captivated. And that's what we got to do. And we got to change that. And it doesn't mean I have to change that or he has to change that. We have to change that from the homilies that are given to the way that we teach. But you got to change that from the way that you live. You got to change that from the way that you talk to people. How different your life would be if beauty just irradiated from your existence. People were just captivated by it. They just said, whoa, that person is different. I can't articulate what it is, but they're a totally different person. That's what we're going for. And that's going to require a lot of changing in terms of our mentality. Because beauty is difficult, right? It's hard to truly see beauty. And we're going to get to that kind of in the end of our talk tonight. But I could keep blabbling, so I better hand him back the microphone. Say something funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, I, I personally think that's also um, the way I had to convert my mind in terms of vocation, too. Um, because... You know, when you're like 10 years old or 14 years old and just because like your parents still make you go to church um, and you have this little old lady that comes up to you and she says, have you ever thought about being a priest? You know, and she never says to me, I have an amazingly hot granddaughter. (laughs) And you look like just the guy. (laughs) Then I'd be like, sure, you know, and like firemen don't like go out and like hold firemen retreats you know and it's like have you ever thought about being a fireman you know (laughs) and like that's the way I felt about my vocation for so many years just like God why are you I will follow you anywhere I will do anything why do you want to make me do something that I don't want to do you know and I think part of it um I think part of it is, and this, this is where it, it pairs up analogously with the Christian life, is um, if it's just about those rules and obligations and we just see about how our life is going to be different from everybody else's and that we're going to live like um, kind of unfulfilled existences, like the way I see it sometimes is like, what are people doing? They're probably eating cake. Do I get any cake for the rest of my life? Nope. Jesus asked me to give up cake. (laughs) But what do people do after they, like, leave the movie theater? They go and eat cake. (laughs) Like, why are the people so happy at Chick-fil-A? They probably get a lot of cake, you know? And I'm like, I'm going to live an unfulfilled existence. But I love Jesus. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, you suffered. Like, you went through all this, like, you know, bad stuff. And I guess at some point... Like, I'll be fulfilled. Okay, does anybody else think that sounds like Islam? Where it's just like, I will give up certain things right now, but as soon as I get there, there better be 40 virgins, right? (laughs) Personal story. (laughs) So, (laughs) don't blow this, Goebel. You got five weeks to ordination, you know? Don't say anything stupid. So I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm open, you know, I'm open, God, because I'd gone through the, I'd gone through the truth talk. I believed, you know, I confessed the creed. Like I, I didn't have a better plan than that. So I was like, we're going to go with this one. 
and like the goodness thing, I started to see like why God was, you know, leading, you know, certain people, sexual morality, um, like morality around drinking, you know, which you get after a while. Um, but, um, as far as vocation, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm open, you know, but then God turned it back and said, well, what do you want? You know, not what do I want for you? Because that's the question that I was always asking. What do you want from my life? And then I would have these old ladies and try to tell me what, what I wanted from my life. Um, but God turned that question around. He said, what do you want? And in, in my heart, I, I knew for the first time, instead of like relying on somebody else, I want to be a priest, okay? And I made that, you know, sort of uh, confession to myself. And immediately I'm just like, oh, like, I didn't mean to, uh, yeah. But anyways, it happened. And I was getting ready to go tell the bishop um, in my home diocese, Springfield, that I was going to go in. And uh, I talked with him, and, you know, we kind of did the whole, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time, blah, blah, blah. You know, it wasn't like he was like, yippee, you know? <laughs> Which I'm like, there doesn't seem to be a line outside your door, you know? <laughs> Like, they were more excited at Verizon when I signed up for a two-year contract than you are as my flipping bishop, and I'm getting ready to say, no pay, no lay, and I'll do whatever you say, okay? So, like, you know, a little excitement. But I said, I said, all right, so I wanted to, I, this is, this kind of pairs up. This does pair up. What? I was gonna, I was gonna go make, I was, I was gonna go make a pilgrimage back to the church where um, I was. I went on church retreats as a kid. There, there's this beautiful church in Riverton, Illinois, um, that was the Franciscan Mother House, and that was like really one of the first times I was in a super beautiful church, and one of the first times I ever experienced the Holy Spirit, um, as more than just like you know when you know the music comes on and. Oh, my hand's doing this. I must be in the Holy Spirit. Um, and I go, and the chapel's under construction. And, um, and like, it was really weird, because I was like, we used to be able to go in here, and it was pretty easy. Um, but apparently, you can't just walk into a cloister, you know? Um, so, um, so then the, the mother superior comes out, and she says, you know, why are you here? I was like, well, I just decided to go to seminary. I wanted to come back to the chapel and, and give thanks to God and everything. And she said, well, as the chapel's under construction, um, we'll allow you to pray in our private chapel. And I was like, sure, you know. I thought private chapel meant private. Um, but I go in, and there are, it, it was, it's actually a, a Franciscan mother house for retired Franciscan sisters, um, so I go in there, it's like 80 religious sisters um, that are like on the oxygen masks and like one of them's in like the wheelchair, just like slumped over, sleeping and everything. And they show me in and everything and I kneel down and like I, I wasn't thinking this, but like all of a sudden God's like, here are those virgins. <laughs> and I just said, you duped me, oh Lord. And I let myself be duped. Oh. Yeah, five weeks. Five weeks. Five weeks. He's not here at the microphone. Uh, what? What? What is the topic? What are we talking about tonight? Oh, beauty. Gosh. We're getting to yeah. beauty. So that was a, a very, very private expose of Deacon Nathan's early life. 
We will not share any more from that. But I will say, I will say this, that, uh, you know, one of the great gifts of, uh, of my life has been getting to know this, this character on my side here. And again, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like we have to be obliged to be friends because we're going to be priests together. It was just the beauty of this kind of outrageous life, this hilarious character who can be a cantankerous ass at times, okay? This is his best face right now. This is beautiful, right? But I, I've, we've seen each other in our worst, and you still choose each other. And that's what beauty does, right? When you see the beauty of the other, it makes you want to change your life. It makes you want to be different, right? There's no such thing as seeing beauty and not desiring to become different. But for a lot of us, that's what happens, right? That's what happens. We go up to the mountains, and we're on top of some 14er saying mass, and somebody gets a photo, and it's like, sweet, that's my Thursday Instagram post because everyone will know how awesome I am. What did I just do? I just took beauty, and I just objectified it about myself, right? I just made it something about myself instead of actually reverencing that which is. And that's the great temptation, right, is to take these things. And we live in Colorado, but if we bring this kind of consumerist mentality into the mountains with us, what we're going to do is we're going to strip the very joy of being enraptured by beauty so that we can have self-glorification of our ego, which never satisfies, right? I can promise you that. It never, ever satisfies. And this is what happens, right? This is what happens. You do that long enough... You try and feed the ego. You keep stripping and objectifying beauty. All of a sudden, you lose your ability to perceive beauty in itself. You literally become incapable of understanding and comprehending what true beauty is, right? And I think when I look back on my life, much of which was disastrous, right? And my parents are here. They know all this. They're going to be horrified. You can pat them on the back and say, well, he ended up okay. But at one point in my life, there was a lot of fish music that I was listening to. This is PH Fish. And a lot of drugs. Now, what was happening in that? I think beneath it, I had despaired of the ability to perceive meaning in life and to be able to perceive beauty. So I turned to drugs to alter my reality so that I could get something kind of out of it. And I think one of the reasons for the rise of marijuana that we're seeing, which is so prominent, is not just evil people who want to go do evil things. It's people who have despaired that they can see beauty because they've lost the ability to do it. And when they walk into an ugly church and we moralize them, guess what they say? Yep, no beauty here. See you later. And that's what we want to stop doing, right? When they meet you, we want to try and go about it differently. Now, to start with beauty doesn't mean we just end with beauty, right? Because to encounter beauty means to change our lives, right? Moral conversion has to happen. And only then can we be free for the truth. But I'll give you another example of perceiving beauty. Now, uh, one of our places, one of our stops was the Gandekhütte, which was how high? Do you remember how I was? 12,000 feet up above Zermatt, Switzerland, okay? This is probably the most amazing place I've ever been to. So if you go to Zermatt, take the viniculars and then hike up through the snow up to uh, the Gandekhütte, which is this old hut that sits on the side of a mountain. The Matterhorn is like right there. And you're surrounded by 18 to 20,000 foot peaks all around us. It's absolutely magnificent. And one night we were up late, and these huts are amazing because they all serve beer, though they don't have running water, which is like kind of classic. So we're up, we're up playing euchre, right? I'm sure I was playing with you. This is the only human being on the planet who, when I'm his teammate, he actually chews my ass during the game. I'm like, how is this possible? So we're playing euchre against somebody, Grace Jacobs or somebody. We're whipping up on somebody like that. Late into the night, we go outside because we don't have any running water, and there's about five people standing outside, not talking to each other, they're just staring. And what they're doing is they're staring at the scene 
right out of the door of the Gandakutta, right? It's about the middle of the night, and it's a full moon. And all you see is the tops of snow-capped Swiss Alps all the way around us, and below them is complete cloud cover. And the lights from Zermatt are kind of coming up through the clouds. It was the most unbelievable experience I've ever seen. It was absolutely the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. If someone was to say to me, what is physically the most beautiful moment in your life? It was that moment, standing out there and looking at it. And literally, we were so shocked, so enraptured by the beauty, that nobody even talked. It just arrested us. We just stopped. That's what happens to the soul when it truly encounters beauty. Nobody took any photos because nobody wanted to take photos. Because nobody wanted to reach for their phone. Nobody wanted to go back inside. We just wanted to behold that which was there. And the amazing thing, right, the amazing thing is that beauty transmits a content. And if you leave with one thing tonight, it's to remember that. When you behold beauty, you encounter a presence. What we experienced there was not just a random collection of snow falling on these rocks and these light molecules bouncing off these clouds in this way. It was not some just kind of molecular, biological setup that created some kind of bizarre lighting. It was a gift. It was an absolute and complete gift. It was a presence. It was something that was for us. It was actually an act of love. And when you get to that point, then you start to say, this is the only way I want to see life. I don't want to see anything else like this. And that was the point of the pilgrimage right there, was to be able to get to a point where we were so enraptured by beauty so captivated that we had learned and been re-educated about how to see it, how to perceive. We had the patience, right, the renunciation that was necessary for it, that all of a sudden we could say, this is it. This is all I want. I'm not thinking about anything else except this moment right here. It's what happened to Daryl Nepple in 1977. It's what happened to us outside of the Gandakutta, right, last June. And this is the way to live life. This is the promise of Christ, Right? This is the revelation of God, is that he's the fullness of beauty. He's the fullness of beauty, which means that in every moment of every day, you can encounter the beauty of God and actually receive the content and the meaning that he desires to give to you. So much of life is spent desperately trying to find meaning. Right? I need to be the funny guy. I need to be the smart guy. I need to do whatever. i got to prove myself and not screw up in order to be successful, in order to be happy. We're doing it all wrong. God is speaking to us through beauty constantly, but we're shutting it out, and we're not able to perceive it, and then we try and manipulate and change our lives. So that's what we want to go back to. And when you think of that tonight, think to yourself, how is it possible to conceive of a faith that is like what we experienced outside of the Gendekhutta? That's, that's what we're going for. That's what we want. We want something that's different. We begin with that. We have to begin anew tonight. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think... I think part of it is beauty, naturally, you, you want to share it with others. Um, that when, when those people saw what they saw, there was, there was a desire to communicate that with, with other persons. Um, there is the intimate, intimate life of love between married persons that is a very unique and natural beauty. But even still, that beauty spills over into the love of children um, so that they're actually drawn in to participate in the life of love that actually can't contain itself any longer, Um, that it just erupts in this fruitful expression. Um, The other thing is that 
uh, beauty draws us out of ourselves. That's what ecstasy is, um, to, to stand out of, um, to draw out of. Um, and like John was saying, like sometimes, sometimes I'm so focused on what my life consists of, the projects I have, the, day, the deadlines I need to meet, people I like, the people I don't like. Um, and when I encounter beauty, it's not necessarily something I create. Um, it, it confronts me and I participate in it. It's um, like for Lent this year, um, I was kind of tired of doing the whole like, you know, give up drinking or give up smoking thing or, you know, like, because I usually fail at that um, by like, you know, two weeks in. Um, so I decided that I was going to go take a walk um, around the neighborhoods uh, where I live. I live uh, at 29th and Sheridan. So uh, it's almost the Highlands. Um, so I'm just sort of like, you know, uh, touching, you know, the beyond. Um, but to like see the beauty of houses. Because normally I'm just driving through, you know. I got to get back to my room. Why? I don't know. I got stuff to do. I'm not actually living at a pace in which I'm walking where I, I, it's like accessible enough for me that I can stop and allow it to arrest me. And I was having a really crappy day. Um, I actually gave up biting my nails. Uh, I had a friend of mine who's here tonight. I won't tell you her name, but I asked her because, I mean, I've never, I, I, I've bit my nails all my life, okay? Wasn't breastfed, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I'd grown them out, and they were like, like mini Coke nails, like to me, you know? And I kind of half suggested to her, I think I need to go get a manicure. I don't necessarily want a manicure, but they grow in all wonky, you know? Like I look like a goblin, you know, like Gollum or something, like in a cave. And um, so she didn't end up taking me to the manicure, whatever. The day I had my crappy day, what was the first thing I did? I ripped those suckers off immediately, you know, because I was so mad. I was having such a bad day, you know? And I was walking. Um, and um, I was trying to say to myself um, over and over, um, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, because the beauty of Jesus coming into Jerusalem is something I don't necessarily understand. Um, and I find difficult to believe, you know, in this God of beauty um, when there are still mean people and I'm a mean person um, and things are difficult and whatever else. Um, but, uh, so I was trying to like repeat that, repeat that to myself. And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, I kind of like snapped out of it and realized, oh my God, it's green. Like I hadn't even noticed that spring had came and that it was no longer like that brown drab, like kind of yucky feeling, um, where everything looks like mucus. Um, well, underneath the snow, um, and then all of a sudden I look, and in this beautiful yard in the highlands, there's hyacinths. And they're like my favorite flower. And they have the best smell. If you go to Home Depot, you can like drink your fill of them. Um, because uh, if you take them home, inevitably they last for like a day and then it's over, you know. So better to just go be a creeper at Home Depot and, you know, take it. But it, it arrested me because it drew me out of myself. I was no longer thinking about how crappy everything was and how I just broke my Lenten promises and all this other crap. 
And I just looked at this flower, and the beautiful thing was, thank God that there's somebody out there that believes in, like, the gardening. Because gardening is planting a seed in the dark earth and hoping that somehow it will last the winter. And, and that's what happened, was I was walking along, having my little, you know, pity party for myself, because I was so drawn into myself, um, that this one element of beauty like drew me out of myself. And I believed in that point that God can draw um, goodness from the suffering and the pain and the confusion of my life. And that's perfectly into our final point tonight, which is this. That pilgrimage to beauty tried to accomplish three things. To encounter again beauty in creation, right? The Alps, you think of the beauty of the mountains. To encounter again the beauty of friendship, to recondition life, so that we had an unbelievable experience of true friendship, of really being known. And I think anybody who went on that trip experienced that. We didn't have any internet. We didn't have access. We were locked into these little huts together with no running water, with beer, with cards. That was it, right? And something amazing happened. The depth and the experience of the beauty of friendship happened in a totally different way because of that. But there was a third thing as well, right? The beauty of suffering, okay? This is where we get distinctly into the teaching of Christ, it's, it's possible for a noble pagan to go out and to experience the beauty of nature. And there's a lot of people doing it. It's, it's amazing. You see them, you talk to them, it's beautiful. You see a lot of people also experience the beauty of friendship and live in the midst of that. But only in a crucified God is there such a radical claim that there's actually beauty in suffering. This is where it gets difficult. This is where it demands a real change of your life and it demands absolute patience. To say that the things in my life that are killing me because I am powerless in them, the things in my life that are so meaningless because they're so painful, the things in my life that I can't control, that I'll never control, those very things themselves are God inviting you to the even deeper experience of his divine beauty. It's a beauty that's crucified. It's a beauty that is changed. It's a beauty that is transformed from ugliness through the act of divine love. If you can live this way, if you can experience this, then you have become a saint, right? This is what it's about, to put in love where there is none and to draw it out through the act of beauty. This is the promise of Christ. And as we move into Holy Week, and as we conclude this talk tonight, this is the challenge, is to say, on Good Friday, this very Friday, do I really believe that Christ reveals the fullness of God's beauty on the cross? That the most hideous, horrific, painful death imaginable by the God-man himself was, in fact, the most beautiful thing that's ever happened in history. That is the challenge. Can you say that? Can I say that? Do our lives reflect that? Can we embrace that? That's the prayer for tonight. If you can live that, if you can see beauty in suffering, in the pain, in the misery, in the confusion, the greatest failures of your life, if you can see that, you can see beauty anywhere. If you can see beauty anywhere, then you live a life of total joy and of complete communion with God. That's the promise, that's our inheritance, and that's the invitation tonight. Good. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, our loving Father, we thank you, we bless you uh, this day for the beauty of, of your life, of your inner life, the beauty given to us in creation, in every being that you've made. Lord, especially this day, we ask you for the grace to perceive beauty in the suffering of our lives. We pray for patience, 
for renounced and abandoned hearts to your will, that we may be strengthened by you, that we may be filled with your resurrection joy, even as we enter into Calvary with you. Your blessing upon these, your sons and daughters, this night. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.